Hey, it's Eric G. Around the House is sponsored by Baldwin Hardware. For 75 years, Baldwin Hardware has been known for its first-class quality and craftsmanship in door and cabinetry hardware. As an alumnus of the Baldwin Hardware Design Council, I can say I have seen the details and quality from design to the finished product. If you're looking for a new style and old-world craftsmanship, I can tell you there is only one Baldwin Hardware. Check out what would look great in your home at baldwinhardware.com. It's around the house. Yeah, and I'm asking Eric, I have never seen someone busted for not doing a permit. So I'm wondering like, what happens when they do bust you? I mean, do they show up and just see a bunch of contracting trucks and say, hey, I'm not aware that anybody's doing anything. And the township just walks in and says, hey guys, where's your permit? How embarrassing does it happen? I will give you real life experiences right now that I've seen happen. I was doing this really high-end design in a downtown Seattle condominium project. This guy was gutting his condo. He was a world, he's now since passed, so I tell the story now. When it comes to remodeling and renovating your home, there is a lot to know, but we've got you covered. This is Around the House. Welcome to Around the House with Eric G and Caroline B. This is where we talk home improvement every single week. Thanks for joining us. Hello, Caroline. How are you today? Hello. Hi, everybody. Having a good time here. We've got a fun one today. I'm looking forward to this because I put up on Around the House Nation. If you haven't become a member of Around the House Nation, it is our Facebook closed group here about a week or two ago, I put up a message on there and said, Hey, any requests for topics? And our friend William brought one up, which I thought was a solid one Mm. to permit or not permit. That is the question. It is such a sketchy topic too. It is. Because I feel like if you don't do it, you're kind of like being a little shady. But then if you do do it, it might end up costing you a lot of money and you may feel like, I don't know if I need to. It's this gray area I'm building. It is. I don't even know what to do. Well, and the problem is, is it's different everywhere. So like, let's, we'll take this back to the basics here. For instance, in the state of Oregon, where I live, you get your permit from your local building department, but building codes are the same across the entire state because it's state law. Now, you can have a little tweaks here and there in a local residence kind of thing, but building permits are a state thing where you get off into the Northeast a lot and building permits can be different between cities. It's not a state thing. So it can be very hard to navigate for some people depending on where you live. In my area, Washington, Oregon, it's really a, it's a, it's a state thing here in the Northwest. And it's completely different in other parts of the country. So you have to take that into mind when you start thinking about, do I need to pull a permit or don't need a permit? And that's the interesting part. I have, I have a little rule. So if you're going to change a structure or you're going to do something to the home that's going to be a real estate improvement, chances are you need a permit. But that's just me. That's how I kind of gauge it because I'm not pulling permits every day. Yeah, but in Washington in many areas, and I think all of it's this way now, if you change out a water heater, technically you should pull a building permit because you're modifying the plumbing system. 
even when you're just rep- replacing it. But that falls into my little code because that would be like a real estate improvement. So it's just yep. in my head. That's how I keep it, track of it. Okay. Okay. Well, I mean, a water heater is, it's, yeah, if you're improving it. But here's the thing that's interesting. Within that, many times, just a repair, you don't need a building permit for it. Where if it's a replacement, you do. So let's say you've got a, a loose railing on that deck. And you go, oh, I'm going to go in and I'm going to beef that up a little bit. Most places, you don't need to pull a permit for that. But if you tear it down and put it back up again and you removed it and replaced it, you should get a building permit. So it gets interesting on how those rules work. But then there's this whole gray area where people are, I'm not going to move. Nobody's going to see it. I can make a change. It's the existing structure. Something is grandfathered in because there's this weird law. I think it's in New Jersey where if something is grandfathered in and you're replacing something that was there, you can get away with not having a permit. It gets Hmm. sketchy. Not maybe in your area. Usually grandfathered in means that, okay, this past code or this was allowed in 1947, but it's not anywhere near code in 2022 so you're not forced when they change building code to go back and make changes to your existing structure it's grandfathered in traditionally that's what the grandfathered in is now as soon as you go in and do some work on it that grandfathered in status Mm -hmm. is different so for instance here was a great example and this is where you have to be really careful with building permits. And this is a story that I saw play out personally because I was a designer on the project. So homeowner bought a house. It was in, uh, in Portland, Oregon here in the city and cool little Tudor style brick face, awesome little storybook house. The second Hmm. floor had two bedrooms, two baths. One was the master and the homeowner wanted to do a master bathroom remodel. Hired a contractor. Contractor pulled the permits correctly. Contractor went in, had the permit in hand, posted following every rule, everything. Tore the bathroom out, did some changes to the plumbing, called in for the first permit inspection. Contractor walks in and goes, huh, original building permit for 1920 on this thing shows the upper floor as being storage. There was never a permit pulled to convert that to To bathroom, bathroom, living space, anything anything else. Mm -hmm. Now, this was back in like 2016, 2017 when this happened. They red tagged the project and had to bring Uh the entire second floor up to code for 2016 thus adding $120,000 to that project because they had to treat that as a new livable space. And that was pretty crazy. That was expensive. So what happened was, is they had to go in there. The floor was designed for storage, so they had to beef up the floor system. They literally had to go in and open up walls on the finished basement, tear up the floor down there because they needed to put new footings in for the columns in the middle of the house. They literally had to go in and check shear. Oh, yeah. 
plaster walls came down on the inside of the main floor of the living room and stuff that were beautiful Spanish plaster walls. They had to open those up to uh, test for shear, and they had all these different things they had to do <laughs> just to do this bathroom They're model. Done. Well, here's the worst case it's of this, good. and this is where you have to keep those records for a house. The city of Portland also made a huge mistake when they converted over from hard documents to electronic. They lost a decade worth of permits. They can't locate them. Homeowner had a stamp set of plans that said submitted, but they were not from back when the house was remodeled during that time, but they do not say approved. So the homeowner ended up doing that, which means now here's one thing that I want to talk about in the next segment, because this is where this can cost you money. Technically, when those guys bought this house, Caroline, they bought a house that had much many more square feet than was actually permitted. And that is one of the biggest mm-hmm. loopholes in real estate transactions today. If you have this old farmhouse that was a single story farmhouse with a basement and a huge storage area upstairs, and let's say it's a thousand square feet in the basement, thousand square feet in the main floor, thousand square feet up in the attic. You paid 3000 paid for a 3000 square foot house and you might've only gotten a thousand square foot house. You could have paid two thirds extra for a house for square footage that you never got. So think about it this way. If you've got 2,500 square feet of house, but you only have a thousand square feet of livable space that the building department says is livable. Do you want to pay that $250 a square foot for 2,500 square feet? Or would you rather pay it for the thousand you're actually getting? And let's talk about that. When we come back, Carolyn, let's talk about this because this is going to be a big deal for people out there, especially if you're thinking about taking on a project like that. Let's do that just as soon as Around the House returns. Is crime out of control around your house or business? Hey, it's Eric G with Around the House. I use Deep Sentinel, the industry's leading security system using high-speed cameras, artificial intelligence, and live guards to monitor your home or business 24-7. Live guards intervene when suspicious behavior occurs, instantly removing trespassers from the property and then engaging law enforcement when needed. Use discount code ATH for 10% off your system purchase at DeepSentinel.com. That's DeepSentinel.com. Hey, I'm Rudy Wade, and you're listening to Around the House with Eric G. and Caroline B. Listen to my music to improve your home. You got me thinking about the day we moved. Welcome back to the Around the House show. Caroline and I have been sitting here talking. Do you pull a permit? Do you not pull a permit? And we have dove right down this rabbit hole to open up this discussion because it is a complex one from time to time. It's confusing. And yeah. it's, and it's so, also, I think from a financial standpoint, you know, people want to save money. These things aren't cheap. So the average cost of a permit is going to run somewhere around $1,281. That was a 2021 statistic. So yeah, that's an average you're going to pay. That, that's a big expense when you're thinking about, you know, doing a project, you have to figure that in. It can be a lot more too, depending on what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Sometimes here there's development fees. Sometimes there's all these different fees that come on to that. And here's how that can happen. For instance, in the city of Portland, if I go down here, and I'm just going to use it as an example because it's the local big city here to my house. If I go into that city and pull a building permit for a kitchen and bath remodel, and that exceeds, what, twenty dollars or $30,000, I'm not sure exactly what the current rule is. Back when I was designing kitchens every day, it was about $25,000. If that project exceeded that, you now had to fit in with the tree code out front. So they came over, and at final inspection, you might have to add three approved trees off their list to your front yard to get that kitchen remodel signed off. And I'm not kidding. You know, we, it's crazy. It, it, there's so much to this topic because I just had a contractor come out to my house and I'm looking to do a paver patio. And his first response was, Oh, don't worry about it. Like, you know, this is an existing structure. You had something there that was similar. Your grandfather didn't, don't worry about it. We don't, we don't have to pull a permit. And I don't think it was that he couldn't, he just was trying to probably save me money and not thinking that I would care and or no. So interesting. Like, there's so much variance. And that's a tough one. Let's dive into that in a second. Let me let me put a bow around my last story in the last segment real quick because I really didn't finish that. About the, we were talking about, you know, doing pulling permits for something where you're closing a porch or finishing that basement. Keep in mind, if you pulled that permit, or didn't pull that permit, you're not going to be able to count that in most cases as legal living space. So whenever you're going to go out and buy a house, make sure you pull the square footage from the tax assessor. And trust me, that number means nothing because the tax assessor, if you told that tax assessor that your 3000 square foot house was 22,000 square feet, they would love to tax you for that. (laughs) So that number means anything, but that's what most real estate transactions are pulled from. I want you to go to your building permit department and find out what they tell you the real square footage of that house is. Then you will know what that is because uh, that's what you should be paying that, you know, price per square foot on is that not on what the tax assessor is. So if you, if you're buying a house and you see that there's been a lot of renovation to it, you're saying that you should actually maybe go down to the permit department and find out legitimately what that's you, what that real square footage is because they may not have done it legally. Yeah. If it's not a new house and it was, if it's over 20 or 30 years old, I would make sure that you go down and pull that. And if it's 50 plus years old, I would do it every single time Hmm. just to know what you're paying for because they figure that house on how many square feet, right? And how many bathrooms and that you're paying for a lot of stuff that you would have to tear out to get bought up to code to make that a legitimate square footage. So that's the, that's the first key right there. But as you were saying, to get back to your, your comment, Caroline, you know, it's interesting with grandfathered and kind of really with what you're going with on a paver patio, you probably don't need to get a, a permit on a paver patio. But what happens is, is that if you do a retaining wall next to it over two, three, four feet high, Which is you happen. might need engineering and a permit for that. That's right. Yeah. So that's where that gets a little more interesting is what you have to do to get that going. Now, many times electrical, yes, you know, but one of the biggest warnings that I get, and you and I talked about this before the show, 
One of the biggest concerns I get is when you're doing a remodel, it is up to that homeowner to make sure those permits get pulled, not the contractor. And if that contractor goes down in many places to get the permits, they're going to look to see if that contractor has a valid contractor's license. So I get a big warning light when the contractor goes, oh, no, 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 I'm not going to go down and pull permits. You have to go do that. Mm. Have they been booted out of there? Have they had issues? Do they have a license that you're missing? What's going on there? Not all contractors are wrong that do that, but they are warning signs for me that I go, my, my ears kind of pop up a little bit and go, huh, wonder why that is. That makes me nervous. So what are some of the consequences of if you don't pull a permit? And so, you're, you know, you gave a couple of examples that, you know, you may not really have proper usage of your home, your square footage. You may have to go back, backtrack and end up costing you more money. But then also homeowner's insurance is something to think about too, because if your homeowner's insurance, if for any reason you do a project and you end up, let's say you get a flood or maybe a fire, if they find out you didn't mm -hmm. pull a permit, guess what? Homeowners could not cover your claim. I've seen it happen. Yeah, let's talk about that for a minute. Great example. So I went in to go do a kitchen remodel probably five years ago on a house that had a addition done to it. They pulled the permits, right? Mm -hmm. Where this name brand remodeler messed up is they didn't get a final permit mm -hmm. on it. So they never got that final sign off. And this is a big one too, if you pulled a permit to get that. Because this addition in this kitchen that was done 25 years ago, that addition was now going to have to get brought up to current code because no one signed off on it. Mm -hmm. So you now reset that. So we were going to have to pull down the insulation, put new insulation in. Of course, all the drywall was going to have to come down. It was going to be another $40,000 to fix that space because they didn't get the final on it. Now, there is one thing too, Caroline, that gets very interesting. And I want to talk about this when we come back about how they're catching people. But some of the consequences as well is you can get fined. They can come out and force you to, to fix it, mm -hmm. to get it up to code. They can red tag it and say that it's not suitable to live in until these things are done. If you really make that building department and that building inspector mad, you're done. That can be a huge <laughs> issue. Um, in the Tri-Cities where I grew up in Eastern Washington State, they ended up having a city council person 20 years ago get into a fight over a water heater permit. And there was a police standoff because he would not allow the building department inside the home. The sheriff or the police department tried to escort him in. And it was huge news because they literally had a police standoff over a building permit outside of the house because the inspector wanted to go in and inspect it and he hadn't pulled a permit. And it was a licensed plumber that had installed it. So there's a lot of consequences. When we come back, I want to talk about how these guys are catching people not pulling permits. We'll do that just as soon as Around the House returns. Let's all not fail again. 
Hey guys, you're listening to Around the House with Eric G and Caroline B. I'm Zeke Sky, and I'm going to show you how to shred it out while you're building it up. Welcome back to the Around the House show. We really appreciate you tuning in today. If you want to track us down, you can hit us up at AroundTheHouseOnline.com. And of course, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Just start looking at Around the House show and make sure you join our Facebook closed group, which is Around the House Nation. And if you're listening to us on the podcast right now, make sure you go over to your favorite podcast player and click that subscribe button so you can get the show on the weekends, including the one which is our midweek special that you get uh, Tuesday afternoon and Wednesday, depending on which player you're listening to. We've been diving into permits today, right, Caroline? Yeah. And I'm asking Eric, I have never seen someone busted for not doing a permit. So I'm wondering, like, what happens when they do bust you? I mean, do they show up and just see a bunch of contracting trucks and say, hey, I'm not aware that anybody's doing anything. And the township just walks in and says, hey, guys, where's your permit? How embarrassing does it happen? I will give you real life experiences right now that I've seen happen. I was doing this really high-end design in a downtown Seattle condominium project. This guy was gutting his condo. He was a world, he's now since passed, so I tell the story now. World-renowned architect that was teaching school at a major university. Okay. One of the largest architecture firms out there. He did not pull permits on this. And the plumbing fixtures that we ordered from him were high-end, imported from Germany, and did not have the little plumbing stamp that they needed to have on them to pass building code in the United States. They had not been tested and approved. How did he get caught? Not his neighbors. Building department head was walking down the street, walking to a lunch meeting, and saw the plumbing fixtures being delivered up into the high-rise because it was parked out front with the flashers on, and he went, wow, there's no permit in that building. Followed him up into the house. And this place had been gutted (laughs) to the studs. Being a world-renowned architect, he was made an example of because God knows he knew better. So that's one of them. The second one is that pesky neighbor you don't get along with. Mm. And where I saw this happen, it happened on a Saturday, which was even weirder. He was swapping out windows on his weekend project. So he was ordered some new windows, changing the opening on one of them in his kitchen. And man, building permit guy showed up, building inspector showed up on a Saturday, which is super rare. And again, he had the window out, tagged him. No permit. That cost him some money, had to pull permits, had to get the, and then, of course, they get you on the fines. Now, the latest technology one is I'm seeing building departments using satellite, like Google Pictures. Like, how big Mm. was your deck in 1975? No. 1995, maybe? 2005? Or how big was the footprint? Or was that building there, that shed, that shed that you built too big and they can go on there and take a look how big was that deck there oh wow that deck doubled in size and it's a second story deck you should have pulled a permit for that you see where i'm going yeah i'm wondering like 
you know, I just imagine them driving around in vehicles, like looking for mm-hmm. activity. I mean, how many people do they have on staff? Like, is this a realistic expectation that you could get busted? Or is it more of a fee, like a, you know, do they have us in fear? I'm just curious because I don't really know. Oh, like, how I, the works, answer is, here's the thing. Here's where most of them happen. I'll say 70% of the time, maybe 60 to 70% of the time, I'll give a little more room here. 60 to 70% of the time, that building inspector is driving to another inspection. Maybe your neighbor pulled a permit for their deck. They're pulling to the driveway and they're walking down the side of the house. And they look over and go, wow, they're doing a deck too. <laughs> they're like the police. Exactly. You know, or wow, that Chevy's building, that's way too big. There's no building permit for that. That's almost an accessory dwelling unit because you built it bigger than the minimum size, the maximum size square footage of a shed. So that's one of the most common ones. The other one is that pesky neighbor that you don't get along with. I could see that being like the bigger thing. Like you're doing something and they're just like, you know what? I'm going to call it in. They're not supposed to be doing this. Or maybe they're close to your property line. That could tick you off. I have seen, and I was a great example, I was watching my buddy Dirt Monkey's uh, video on doing a retaining wall. He had one homeowner next door was making daily, every six hours, calls into the permit office with complaints that they were breaking the law. And they had permits. Oh it was the pesky neighbor next door going, they're not doing this right. They're not. Of course, they showed up. They had it all filmed. They had everything there. They had all the permits but they were calling about every six hours. So that's the thing you got to be careful with. If you're going to go trying to do, you know, sneak one past the inspector, those neighbors, they're going to see that patio door sliding in, you know, going to the front door. I'm going to wait till they start on that. I'm going to call it in. Or I'm going to, oh, I see a truck out front. Bet they didn't pull a permit for that. That's all it takes. And a lot of the trades, they got names on the front of it. So I'm thinking of something because of COVID and how difficult it was in the past to get contractors. How long does your building permit actually last? So typically you think, okay, I'm going to go pull the permit. I'll do the job this month and then they'll come close it out. But if you have to wait for a contractor, is there a limit? Is it six months, 18 months? Depending on what the local codes are. A lot of times they're a year. A lot of times they're six months i've seen 18 months depending on what that municipality says it can be but most of the time you can get an extension really easy just call them up and go hey i need an extension or fill out the paperwork online and get an extension so it's usually not that big a deal it can be a big deal sometimes though if the code changes in the middle of that Mm. and hard to say how that's going to go you know if you're doing that over the holidays and sometimes there's that hey there's that new 2023 code if you're extending over that that can be, uh, you can be grandfathered sometimes, but you, I've seen them not get grandfathered. So it's depending on how each one of those codes is written and what that local area's rules are. So I'm going to stick to my little rule. If it's going to change the value of my home for real estate transaction, I'm going to get a permit. And if it's going to change the structure of my home, I'm going to get a permit. I just make it dummy. It's like home improvement for dummies. <laughs> That's what I use. And it helps me. Otherwise, it's too complicated. Great example. I was on social media the other night here. I think it was actually last night. And 
there was a nice lady on one of the groups that I'm in as an admin or an expert. And she had this closet that she was tearing out. And, oh, okay, I'm going to tear all the structure out. Is that okay? Well, if I, you know, I looked at the structure, she'd taken the, the drywall or plaster off of it. And it was framed like it had some structure to it. That header was See, larger than it should have been. She needs a permit. It was big. Yeah. And she's like, I'm going to rip it out. I'm like, whoa, 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 slow down. Sister. First of all, <laughs> yeah, sister, slow down. That might not be able to come out of there without doing some work. And she goes, oh, what if I just throw a four by four? No, no, no. You've got like a two by, it's like a three foot wide opening. And there's like a two by 10 <laughs> up there. And I'm like, you got to, there's a lot of structure here for some reason. And you need to get a, uh, you know, you need to get somebody out there. That's a, a structural engineer to give it to you. You know, what do you have to do there? Now, when we come back, I want to talk about this real quick. If you're doing your own project, that is something that I think is a, is a good solid discussion on structure of having that structural engineer pay them a few hundred bucks, maybe a thousand bucks to help walk you through some of these things, because having that engineer and some drawings to tell you how to do it can be a huge savings for you on how to tackle some of these projects. And quite frankly, if you're pulling permits for beams and things like that, you're going to need to have those things stamped anyway. So you might as well take care of it. Let's talk about that and dive into that just as soon as Around the House returns. Hi everybody, I'm Ari Kameen from Steven Adler's band and you are listening to Around the House with Eric G and the beautiful Caroline. Welcome back to the Around the House show. This is where you get your home improvement advice every single week. Thanks for joining us. Well, Caroline and I have been diving into, if you're just joining us, we've been diving into do I need a permit? Do I not need a permit? And of course, that rule goes always back to your local permit office. But I was talking before I went out to break about structural engineers and how important they are. Even if you think that you're not going to pull a permit on something, I would still refer to a structural engineer to help walk you through the project so you know that you're doing it correctly. And if you get nailed on it, at least you'll have the drawings already. Mm. And then you just have fines and, and maybe some redoing of the project. I also like mechanical engineers, like when I'm working on HVAC all the time, because it always, I always feel like they give me an extra sense of, you know, backup to what I want to do. I think engineers in general, people, I mean, homeowners tr traditionally don't like look at something and say, oh, I'm going to hire an engineer because it's just, but it is something sometimes you really do need, especially as the projects get more intricate and with, Definitely with mechanical engineering, we have so many things that happen in a home now that you kind of need them. Well, pretty much if you're going to pull a permit and you're messing with structure. So if I'm going to make that three foot window, a five foot window, I'm going to have to have a drawing 
and I have to have a structural engineer stamp on that drawing saying the size of the header, how it's fastened, all of those things, because all of a sudden they have to bring that area up to current building code. So there could be a lot that has to be done on that to meet that, you know, as much a current building code that it can. So that's where that gets a little more interesting. If you're a homeowner though, and you're putting in, if you're a homeowner and you're putting in, let's just say you're going to, I don't know, you're going to put in some new windows, you're going to add windows to the house that weren't traditionally there. Whose responsibility is it? Is it the homeowner to do that? Or is it the window company? Who advises you about that? First off, the homeowner is always going to be responsible for getting and pulling permits. So when you go to pull the permit for adding new windows, they're generally going to want to see a drawing of where the windows are, structural engineer stamped drawings for that, because it's not only just going in there, okay, I'm cutting a hole in the side of the house and I'm putting a new header in and I'm figuring out that span. They want to see, are you affecting the shear of that building? Well, that have you changed how that building is going to stand up? Because every piece of material you put on the wall, like plywood or drywall, has shear that keeps that building from racking. And as soon as you change that shear calculation, they didn't even do that back in the you know 40s and 50s. They just went, oh, that'll be strong enough. Now they have to do those calculations. So many times it's like mm. a garage. You know, if you do, if you build your own garage, when you get around that outside of that garage door, there is nailing schedules where they say, okay, you need to use three quarter inch plywood or half inch plywood or steel moment frames or whatever to keep that structure. So it's solid. So a windstorm doesn't come by and blow the building over sideways. So you have to consider shear and all of that. So that's why half of that is there. And then of course you're trying to figure out if you're a if you're a townhome or you got two stories above it, maybe there's a post that carries all the way up that carries some big window or deck above. And if you break that coming down, there could be significant load on some two by fours there that you didn't calculate. And now you've got a header that could be Boeing, it could take out a window, it could cause some other structural issues. So anytime you're changing structure like that, unless it's just a single one-story house and you're doing a quick little window thing, I, I'll be honest, I think you should get that structural engineer in there just to make sure you've done it correctly. Interesting. So I'm putting in a slider in okay. my kitchen. I'm taking out a, a, a large bay window, putting in a slider. You think I need a structural engineer? Uh, but you've got, here's the thing probably not in that you're not changing the width of that window are you you're just you're just taking a window out and mm, maybe slightly it's going to be it's going to be slightly bigger a little bigger and obviously taller because it's a slider versus okay. a bay window so you're not reusing that header but a large if you're bay. technically yeah you would need to have engineered drawings for that in almost every municipality that's going to require a building permit for that they're going to want a quick drawing to show what that load calculation is and how that's going to transfer down because you are reframing that structure. So technically that's, that's where they'd want to see that mm -hmm. a few hundred okay. bucks. They'll come out there and could be a, you know, could be a few thousand bucks depending on what they have to do, of course, but you know what I mean? It's, it's what it is and that's what it's going to require. So those are things to take a look at. The same thing is going to be if um, I'll be honest, if you've got a basement and you've got a big, horizontal crack in the basement, you know, where that 
basement wall starting to bow in. You want a structural engineer to come out and give you a report on the correct way to fix that. Maybe it's steel posts. Maybe it's carbon fiber strips. Maybe it's a new foundation wall. All of that should be looked at by a structural engineer as well, just like you would a, a retaining wall outside. You'd want to have, if you're over, you know, three feet, I think you should have a structural engineer draw out how that retaining wall has to go. In many areas, you have to have that for the permit. Lots to do. Lots to think about. So those are all things that... Uh, and, and most yeah. homeowners, most homeowners don't know where to get a structural engineer. Is there a website? I mean, where do uh, they go? You know, here's it? the thing. I have always gotten my structural engineers from my building designers that I've worked with in the past just because I have those relationships. But you can jump on to, to Google and find one in your area and have them, you know, call around to a few of them. Mm -hmm. You know, I like the smaller independent ones versus some of the big, huge firms for doing stuff. That's my personal preference because I like that personal relationship. To be able to call up and go, yeah. hey, Jim, need you to look at this one. But that's me. But find somebody that's close, somebody that wants to take on a small project. You know, those are the, the big, the big ones tend to go for larger commercial projects where, you know, they're taking on the high rise or they're taking on the, the, the city, county, township, road projects and everything else. See, you motivated me. I motiv you motivated me and now we're motivating others because I'm definitely, I'm a p type of person where I like to take out a small window and put in a much mm -hmm. bigger window. So when I do that, I've compromised now the integrity of the exterior and the building science of my structure. You got it. And that's where that makes a difference. It's just, See? it's just like I've had with additions and new construction where you have to go in and do soil reports and all of those things when they're starting to figure out, you know, helical piers and all those kind of things to make sure that those things are being held up correctly. What, 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 what did you just say? A helical yeah. pier? I'm learning something. What is that? So if you're building a deck, one great way to make sure if you've got marshy ground or if you've got a lot of frost heave is that what they do is a helical pier. Think of like a big screw that they screw into the ground, basically down into bedrock. And there's a meter on there that tells you what the force is of the power that they're screwing that down into. And maybe it'll say up to, you know, make up a number up to a thousand foot pounds. Then that comes up with a steel bracket and that is the support. So if you've got a house that's sinking, hmm. you can go out and put those every six, eight feet around the house and lift from that and actually lift that house up so that foundation is attached to that. And if that ground continues to sink, hmm. it keeps the house supported. It's jacked, jacked up. up. So if you've got that, nice. if you've got that, um, you know, old chimney pulling away from the house and pulling away and, you know, because the outside of it is sinking and pulling the top away from the house. You can go in and put two or four helical piers in there, carefully jack that back off, off the helical pier as the jack point. So you're going to lift from that. And then you can put a bracket onto it and hold it. And uh, that won't move anymore. It is just solid as a rock. Nice. Word. Word of the day, helical pier. And there's a lot of people that do those. It used to be something that was, you know, they can be expensive. Um, 
they can be a thousand, two thousand bucks a pop for each one that they do because they have to bring in a little excavator and do that. But uh, it uh, there's also some engineering drawings where you want to put them. So there's a little bit to them. Very important when you're on a hill as well to keep things from moving. Hey, Caroline, I'm hearing the music in the back. You know what that means? It's time to go. Means get those permits. Guys, get those permits. Follow it. Be legal. See what you can do. It's not a bad thing. I'm Eric G. And I'm Caroline B. And you've been listening to Around the House. Hey, it's Eric G from Around the House. Are you planning a decking or siding project this year? If you are, you've got to check out my friends at Millboard. Millboard is a completely different kind of composite decking and cladding that enhances outdoor spaces with enduring distinction. Hand molded from the finest oak, it realistically mimics the natural grain and color of premium hardwood. If you're looking for something that doesn't look like plastic and instead real wood, check out millboard.com. Make sure and check out that interview we did just a few weeks back. That's millboard.com.